yes. So for those of you that don't know us, hello. It's great to be here and get to speak with you guys. We are on, is it our fifth week of hashtag relationship goals? And Jared and I need grace for this session <laughs> because God has really been downloading a lot to us and we just have this feeling that we're, we're not going to get it all out. So we're just praying that God is going to release Holy Spirit, just give us grace to release what he has put in us and that you would receive it and that it will just land on your hearts in a good way. So um, we appreciate your grace on us today as well, your grace for us. You guys picked a good day to come to church. Today's a really, really good day because the Father has something spectacular to release. It's so good and we're so excited to be here. Yes. So... I'd like to propose an idea to you guys just starting off. We're, kind of, we're going to come back to this thought at the end. But I'd like to propose a, a moving from a mindset of church as a gathering into a mindset of church in the home. And I want to ask you a question for you to just ponder and think about that what would church gatherings look like if they mirrored the culture of our homes? You don't have to be in a family to answer this question with children, although I'm sure that there might be some very vivid imagery that you get <laughs> if you do. Um, but what would church gatherings look like if they mirrored the culture of our home? This comes from... Uh, something the Father God was speaking to me where he said, he said, it's, I don't want the focus to be about a gathering. He says, I want you guys, Frontier Church, I want my sons and daughters to realize that the bulk of the church is what happens in your home. And we've really walked away from that in a lot of ways. In our culture, of big churches, amazing worship, conferences. I mean, I got a computer, an iPad, and an iPhone up here to do a message. Like all the technology, all of that can easily take us away from what the heart of God is, and that's establishing his kingdom first inside of us and then inside of our home. And then everything else is this overflow of that church that's happening and that, rela that relationship we're engaging with him on. And what would it look like for our homes to be the primary place where the presence of God is? What would it look like for our homes to be the place where we're experiencing the, the most genuine and in, incredible worship experiences with God? What would it look like if our prayer time with our family or those closest to us was in the, the moments that we had the the most profound spiritual breakthroughs. What, what would that look like? And how do we create that? And what are the elements of that? So I'd like to propose to you that God's heart is for us to be fruitful. And that fruitfulness in our lives is a display and an image of this culture that I'm speaking of. And so what is, what does a fruitful 
What do fruitful relationships, what does fruitful family look like? <laughs> I'm just going to share a story with you because I love stories. Yeah. Uh, this whole concept of the presence of God in our home permeating the culture, creating the culture, is the fruitfulness. And it manifests in different ways as we're going to read and go into the scripture. Uh, but I had this experience where uh, I was doing the dishes, and I was sitting here doing the dishes. I was just singing a worship song or something. And all of a sudden, the presence of God just came over me so strong that first I just like set a dish down and just kind of stand there. But literally, his presence was so strong on me that I was like, I got to turn off the sink because I might end up on the ground. And I didn't even turn off the sink. Like, I literally just laid down on the ground, and I was there for, like, half an hour. Now, this sort of thing has happened to me, like, in a conference or in a setting where there's all these people hungering for God, and there's, like, this great uh, a culture of wild worship and good worship and the presence of God moving. But this is not something that is normal doing the dishes, right? But that's just a, an example of fruitfulness of God wanting to meet us in the mundane. And it's actually in the mundane that our interaction with him and his presence is the most powerful transformation agent in our life. And what does the spirit of God produce? Joy, love, peace, faithfulness, gentleness. Like, this sounds like an image that I would like to live in. This sounds like a home I would like to live in, <laughs> that I would like to be in, reside in, where this is the culture of my home. And th that's what happens when you invite the presence of God into your home. This is, this is what the Spirit of God and the presence of God creates. So we're let's, just going to... Oh, Let's read some scripture. Let's read some scripture. So we're going to talk about fruit. But first I just want to talk about the fruit of the flesh. So Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the flesh. And obviously all of these might not resonate, but the some of these might hit home. And this is what is absent when you invite the spirit of God, the presence of God into your home and these things are replaced by the fruit of the spirit. So it says the cravings of the self-life are obvious, sexual immorality, lust, thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, hmm, never had that one, <laughs> Just kidding. resentment of others favored, uh, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, maybe in conflict, <laughs> that one, being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behavior. And Paul says, haven't I warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God? So, these are all the things that he's saying. If this is going on, it's a clear sign 
that you need to invite my presence into this area of your life. <laughs> that you need to invite my presence into this area of your home. If, if Jared and I are in conflict and we're in an argument and I'm only thinking of myself and I'm just willing to have senseless arguments with him for no good reason, I need to invite the Spirit of God into my home to create fruitfulness in that area of my life. So the fruit of the Spirit produced by the Holy Spirit within us. Wait, can I say the first one? Yeah. Okay, Wait, just when we get to it, hold I want to so, say the first one. The Holy Spirit within us, so the Holy Spirit is not out way somewhere far away that we call on to then come fill our home. The Holy Spirit is within us and is moving through us. So that's just a, wanted to make sure that was got, got in there. So go ahead. Yeah, you can read it. I just want to say this one part about the joy. (laughs) But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Okay, everybody close your eyes right now. Joy that overflows in every circumstance, in every moment, and never has an excuse not to shine. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) peace you can keep your eyes closed this is good peace that subdues every raging emotion peace that subdues the storm of lies and fear patience that endures offense kindness in action a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and a strength of spirit, which in, this is the Passion Translation. Many other translations use the word self-control, but the actual word used is lordship, and it literally means the lordship of your spirit over to control you, like the, the lordship of Um, the strength of your spirit over flesh. So this is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't, the God doesn't leave us out there. Don't do those things. Just don't do them. You know, that's, that's the old covenant. That's the law. Jesus came and empowered us with his spirit and gave us grace. He gave us grace to follow him. Grace to have his laws written on our heart. And it becomes something that we fall in love with and that we just go after because we're in love, you know? <clears throat> so. Yeah. So how do we become fruitful? That's a really good question. I mean, obviously, uh, the Holy Spirit <clears throat> with us, in us, through us is the empowerment to be fruitful. But what does actually the process of fruitfulness in our home looks look like? And this is... This is really the meat of what God's been speaking to us about. And it's so powerful and impactful. It meets if you are single, if you are a child, if you are older and you are divorced, if you have lost your spouse, if you are married, if you're in a season of young kids, if you're in a season of teenage kids, if you're a season of kids have left the house and you have grandkids, every season of life is going to be impacted significantly by what we're going to talk about right now. And it is so 
profound. It gives me so much joy to bring this word to you because God is reframing something that isn't necessarily something we think of with fondness or joy. He's reframing it for us so we can step into his design and become fruitful as families in our home, become fruitful as the church in our home. So do you guys want to hear it? Okay, good. Let's talk about this. How do we become fruitful? We are going to talk about discipline. Hallelujah. So when you think about discipline, Don't get scared. stick with me. Don't get when scared. you think about discipline, probably what comes to your mind is kids. If you're a parent, for sure that's what comes to your mind is kids. The process of disciplining your kids. How do we discipline our kids? All these things. Uh, if you're single, you might have a different uh, perspective, or maybe if you're married, you have a different perspective. When you hear discipline, what you think of is the things you want to do that you don't do, which is discipline of your actions. Uh, but I just want to unpack this real quick. Who was here when we talked about purity during, I think it was the first week, about how purity, God's design for purity is in every season of life, and how that works is that when you're in your home, your parents teach you to value your purity because it's the most valuable thing God's given you. When you leave the home, you learn to steward and value your purity. And then when you start dating someone, you together, that purity is the most valuable thing you have to protect to show each other your willingness to grow in love. So then you get married, and all of a sudden purity is no longer a factor in life, right? No. Wrong. Wrong. How you've stewarded that purity actually equips you with your spouse to be together in protecting the most valuable thing that God gives you, which is now your kids. So not learning to steward purity actually impacts you by not having the skills to love and protect your kids. Isn't that wild how it continues? Discipline is the same way. Now, let me explain to you to how this works. Discipline when we're kids, we're taught by our parents discipline because they have mastered the tool of discipline. Well, most of us as parents know that's not true. But they're taught, we are teaching them a tool so that when they leave the house, they can be self-disciplined. Self-discipline is what you're going after to become fruitful when you are single, right? Self-discipline. Then you get married, and you have relational discipline. Now, this is, one, discipline in marriage. this is one that we don't often think about. But that's because a lot of us are used to seeing it in a different light or in a different way. And we're going to go into and talk about the difference between discipline and punishment. But how you react to your spouse in the midst of an argument whether you draw away from them and you withhold your affection from them to try and manipulate them or to punish them into getting them to do what you want or to keep them from hurting you. Or whether you pursue letting them know what they can do in order to change this dynamic, this pain that you, they, you've experienced because of what they've done. Whether you cherish the connection and you work to overcome the frustration or the hurt or the offense, that is an interaction of discipline in marriage. 
And that produces the fruit of connection in marriage. Is this starting to make sense a little bit? So we have to understand first and foremost that every season of life, there's opportunity for us to learn and to grow into this element of discipline. And a lot of us were raised in homes where we didn't get a good, either we were maybe raised in homes where there was a lot of, of punishment. Discipline was maybe just an action that's done to, as a response to a bad action. A lot of us, that's what, even with kids, that's what discipline is. You did something bad, so now something bad is going to happen to you. That's kind of a lot of the, the, the thought process of discipline that we grew up with. But we're going to go in and we're going to unpack discipline uh, from the Father's heart. And you guys are going to be super empowered to see massive fruitfulness in your homes because of this one thing. If we can get this right, it's going to bear so much fruit. Um, and recognize that this is all within the, the bubble or the box of connection and relationships. So we're using, obviously discipline is going to be used in lots of areas of life, but how does discipline given by God and taught us by God empower us to have deeper connection, deeper intimacy, and um, more healthy relationships in our lives? So we talked about where does discipline begin? It begins when you're a baby. And it ends when you go to be with Jesus. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I've never gotten past there. So all of our life, we're in this process of growing and understanding the discipline of the Father. Uh, what is the purpose of discipline? The purpose of discipline is to establish identity. If you as a parent can get a hold of that, and every time you go before your child, or every time before you're, you're in a, working through things with your spouse, if you can get a hold of how can I do something in this moment to establish identity, rather than how can I teach them they're bad, or what they're doing is bad, there's going to be fruitfulness as a response to that. So... The purpose of discipline is to establish identity. Now let's talk about this, this concept of punishment. Because a lot of us maybe don't know that there is a difference between discipline and punishment. Uh, but there's a huge difference. And in order to really understand this, we're going to have to briefly go back to the Garden of Eden. Everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, there was two trees. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was a tree of life. Now, this is the easiest way to really understand and connect with the difference between discipline and punishment. Because the tree of life stands for discipline. Before there was sin, God was establishing discipline with Adam and Eve. In the midst of freedom, he was establishing discipline to protect connection. That's all there was. So then we see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And its primary role to get us to conform is punishment. Say it like this. The tree of not good enough. The tree of keeping score. The tree of gaining approval. 
How much of our discipline, if it's not out of the right heart, develops these core heart postures in our kids or maybe heart postures that we've had to deal with because of how we were brought up that all of a sudden I'm doing things to get. I'm doing things so that people will like me. I'm doing things so that, so that I'll be accepted. All, all these things. That's all the tree of knowledge of good and evil that Jesus came to break and he put us into this fruitful tree called the tree of life. Does that make sense? So, so then he gives us this, the father gives us this beautiful imagery of fruitfulness. He says, to become fruitful, the tree has to be pruned. Now pruning is the, the imaginary picture of discipline. It also says in the word, the father disciplines those he loves. So your discipline is actually a, it's not just a product of love, but it's the evidence of love. Your discipline to, to not just wire, but to found those in your life, those you've been giving authority over, that discipline is actually evidence of your love for them. I, I, I did a Facebook article, uh, or just a Facebook, I do like a sentence thing, and God gave me this, and he said, he said, the way you discipline your kids is a reflection of your belief in their greatness. And that just totally wrecked me, because my whole paradigm of discipline just got rocked. Because it's seen in you, it's seen in you, it's seen in our kids, the more that God destined them to be, and then it's stepping in with the authority God's given us to help mold that into place. With a marriage, it's the same thing. It's not getting you to be who I want you to be. It's, I've, the Father's told me who you are, and I get to have a place. He's given me a place to actually make that happen or grow, to bring that fruitfulness. In this verse that we just went over, that is the Father's heart for what our homes look like. So then we're the agents that get to bring that through the fruitfulness. Now, real quickly, what fruitfulness or what discipline is not? I just want to squash this because it really, really, really bugs me. Discipline is not God bringing harmful and hurtful things like disease and illness and grief-stricken situations and tragedy into our lives to make us better people. That is demonic. That is not the good news. God doesn't do that. And if you look at the cross, you can see his son, his most prized possession, on it, hanging to bring the answer to every situation of disease. That's how we have a hope and we know that God is never in disease because his son died and, and let his blood out so that all disease can be healed. Now there's mystery that we live in, we understand that, but we can't, just because there's mystery of what we don't understand, can't, we can't respond to that in changing the nature of God who he shows himself to be to us and what he did through his son. Can we all agree on that? Hallelujah. That's good news. That's really good news. Okay.
So I know. Go ahead. So let's just step in for a minute um, and talk about the biblical foundation for, for discipline and talk about God. What does God's discipline look like in, in Scripture and in our lives to give us some story context for this? Um, okay, so during the first week, uh, I, I kind of unpacked some of this scripture in Matthew 16. For those of you that weren't here, it's uh, Peter just had this amazing moment where God said, who do you think I am? And he says, I think you're God. I think the Father sent you. And, he's, and, and Jesus is like, you know, the Holy Spirit revealed this to you, and I'm going to build my church on this rock, and the gates of hell will not prevail, and all this amazing stuff's going on. And then directly after that, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go and suffer with the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and they're going to cause him suffering. And Peter takes Jesus aside, and he rebukes Jesus, which is never a good idea, but he did it. And, and he said, no. He said, uh, does it say here? Oh, it's not on there. Okay. He says, he says, your thoughts are not God's thoughts. They're not of God, they're of man. And, and Peter basically said, you know, don't let them do that. Protect yourself. Don't allow injustice to happen to you. Which is how many of us have been in relationships or in challenges or in fights. And that's our driving feeling is, I'm, this is unjustified. I have to prove I'm innocent and, and in the midst of this, uh, Jesus says, turned to him and said, get, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because your thoughts are filled with man's viewpoints and not with the ways of God. Then Jesus said, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. So we unpack this as God came to restore relationship. That's the cross that he came that he was carrying was to restore relationship and to protect connection between God and man. So us valuing to protect the relationships, our marriage, our kids, that is essentially taking up the cross that Jesus was carrying. So where does discipline, this is such a beautiful relational example of discipline where, where Jesus doesn't say, because you're wrong or you did something bad, I'm going to do something bad back to you. What he does, we can't miss this, he says, this is the mindset that you're in right now, and this is the mindset I'm in. If you want to be like me, I need you to adopt this and to let go of that. That is a perfect picture of what relational discipline looks like. Whether it's with our kids, whether it's you're doing this and it's hurting me and I, I want to be connected to you without being hurt. So if you can do this instead, it will protect us in inviting somebody into that. That's the meat, the heart of discipline. Yeah, the next example we have is the story of the prodigal son that we all know. I didn't 
write out the whole thing. And the story goes that the son came from, it was two sons, and the one son wanted his inheritance early, and so his father gave it to him. And he went out into the world, and he squandered it all, and he, you know, just lived a crazy life. And then he ended up broke and homeless and, you know, started working for a farmer but wouldn't feed him, so he was eating the pig's food. And he just thought, man, my dad's slaves and workers have a better life than this. I'm just going to go back and offer myself as a servant to my father, and, and at least I'll get a decent meal. And so... He, you know, goes back to his father. His father sees him a long way off, runs to him, welcomes him back. And he turns to his servants, and the father says, quick, bring me my best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. This is where we see the part about establishing identity as discipline. This is the moment where the father was like, you deserve what? What would we do? What would I do to my kid if they, <laughs> you did something bad. How am I supposed to discipline you, punish you? This is, this is Jesus sharing this story. This father is now bringing discipline. He's showing his son who he is. He's telling his son who he is. And he's not saying, you know, this is who, you deserve this and you've become this and I see all your mess. He's, he, he covers him. He covers his his shame and his, his moment of weakness with identity, with, with a ring and shoes and the best of what he has. And then he says, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate for my beloved son was once dead, but now he's alive again. He calls him to life. He calls him back into the place that he was, into even a more significant place than he was. When I was going to school, um, when Jared and I were dating, actually, uh, I had spent a long time away from the Lord. And most of you know my testimony. Some of you maybe don't. But I spent about 11 years in the world away from God. Grew up in a Christian home. Um, but just went and did what I wanted to do. And um, then the Lord just radically wrecked me. and <laughs> um, That's a good story. We don't have time for, for it, day. but it's good. <laughs> but basically, when I just got wrecked by God, it was like I became this pure, like I just felt his purity over me. And it was like, whoosh, I just felt so clean. And all of the temptations of the world and all of life just, whoosh, just melted away. And I was like the squeaky clean white sneaker, you know, <laughs> like the one that just, I just didn't, oh man, I just wanted Jesus. And I wasn't even like tempted. I just had like, oh, this is so amazing. How could life be any better? And then I started dating this wonderful man. I didn't date anyone until I met him. And temptation came with me. And then like this, <laughs> all this stuff started coming up inside of me. And, <laughs> and no, I had a really hard time. Like, we had a really hard time. And this is, that's probably the biggest struggle, like, personally, I've had with God in the realm of temptation and just um, was the time period that Jared and I spent dating before we got married because we were so physically attracted to each other, which is great once you're in marriage. But, <laughs> but it was so, so hard. And, you know, we 
worked really hard and we were like, we were, we were determined to be successful, but there were some gray lines that were crossed on occasion. And I remember just, oh, I was in ministry school and I would like go into worship and I would just be a mess. Like I would just be bawling my eyes out. And I came, when I left the church when I was 17 year olds, I believed the lie that if you're not perfect, then you shouldn't do it at all. And that God, we, he, expects us, he expects us to get our mess together and then come before him and offer something perfect. And it was a lie that I believed from just years of being a pastor's kid and a missionary kid. And, you know, everyone's looking at you and you're just supposed to have it all together. And, I, and so then when I didn't have it all together, I left. I was like, well, fine. I can't be perfect and I can't not sin. So I'm just going to go sin. And that was my that was my story, and I left. And so then, all of a sudden, here I am again, and I'm desperately wanting to follow God. <laughs> and I'm desperately tempted, and I'm not always doing it right, and I have to reconcile this thing of going back to the Father <laughs> and letting him tell me who I was. And one day, <laughs> sorry, I was sitting in worship, and the Holy Spirit said, you need to go call your dad. <laughs> and you need to ask him to tell you who you are. And I didn't want to call my dad and tell him that I was struggling <laughs> with <laughs> sexual stuff or whatever. But, but I went outside, and I called my dad. I said, Dad, I need you to tell me who I am. I've been struggling, we've been making out a lot, we, and I just don't know what to do, and I feel so, I feel like, like I was so clean, and now I feel so dirty. And he just started speaking this life, this identity, this wrapping me in robes of truth. And it was like, God said, you know, maybe you won't hear it from me in this moment, but I'm going to give you someone who you will hear it from. And it just showed me that empowered me to keep going. That empowered me to say, okay, this is who I actually am. So I'm going to go. I'm going to try again. I'm going to go another day. You know, I'm going to keep on walking in this direction of my true identity and who I truly am. And so just to paint a picture for you guys of what this idea of the purpose of discipline. And then when I think about it, I don't think, wow, I don't look at it and go, wow, my dad was really disciplining me in that moment, you know. It doesn't seem like that to my mind, but I think that's one of the most powerful moments of discipline I've ever had from my father. Uh, I think that, yeah, that's so good. That's such a, pu a beautiful picture of the process of discipline. And we've got to get in our heads because the mode of discipline will never be as powerful as the heart behind the discipline. And so often our arguments around discipline, especially, you know, married couples with kids and figuring out the struggle of being a young family, it can so often be the difference we have in how we think it should be done rather than how are we carrying the heart of why we're doing it. And we often think, you know, when we think about 
a, a home filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and we think of God's presence filling our home and worship and all these things that we know is possible, we feel in our spirit, we're stirred like this is good. We haven't experienced it yet, or we haven't experienced it fully yet, and oftentimes we can go to this place where it's like, okay, I need to pray more, I need to read my Bible more, I need to think of the spiritual things that I can do, and that's going to make my home a more spiritual place. And God's saying, wait, no, no, those, those things are all good. I want you to do, I've given you all those things to do. But this, this is what I want to ride onto your home. This is what I want to carry me into your home. If you can establish a home in discipline, driven to release identity, God's going to ride that thing and his presence is going to follow that thing. And all of a sudden his presence is going to come when you're in the midst of teaching your kids things. When you're in the midst of doing dishes. Not because you want to, but because it's a discipline of keeping your house, stewarding what you have. Yeah. So discipline in Jesus, from Jesus' perspective, it looks like God is revealing what he's like. He's saying, you're operating out of this mindset. I need you to operate out of this mindset. And this is who you are. And that's, that's really the nutshell of discipline. This is where you're at. This is where I am. If you want to follow me, you need to come over here. And I'm going to show you who you are. And I'm going to tell you who you are. And I'm going to empower you to be who you are to be who you're called to be, not just tell you who you are and maybe you'll figure it out. There comes power in that moment. The grace is released on you in that moment, in his word, to step into who you, to step into your identity in Christ. Because it's not about becoming a perfect family. It's about becoming like Christ. Yeah. It's not about becoming a perfect individual. It's about becoming like Christ. It's about he, seeing who he is and recognizing where we don't align and him calling us into that place of alignment with who he is and empowering us to live it out as part of our destiny. Right? That's so so we're not trying to just create a perfect family <laughs> or a perfect home. The, That's exhausting. <laughs> That's exhausting. <laughs> the church doesn't lack great services. The church doesn't lack great conferences, great speakers. The church lacks the presence of God in our homes and in our families and in the way we do life. Chris and I, a few nights ago, were, we were working through something. Uh, essentially, we just had gone through the day and I didn't do a very good job of valuing her or showing her how valuable she is to me. And so we were working through this stuff, and I was, like, asking the Holy Spirit to help me and kind of in that sad and frustrated, and I, want, I don't know what to do. And the presence of God just came over me so strong. And that's such a beautiful thing. I mean, I know he's here with me all the time, but when I can tangibly feel his presence with me in the midst of that kind of challenging situation where a lot's at stake... It's really valuable. Uh, my, I had two of my younger sisters, just younger than me. I have seven sisters. That's a lot of sisters. 
have two brothers too, come from a big family. Uh, people always ask me, are you Mormon? And I say, no, we're more women, can't you count? It's my one stand-up joke that only I could say. Uh, but anyways, two of my sisters came to visit. And, and we, were, we were talking through some really challenging stuff that's happening in my family right now where there's some relationships where people don't want to talk to each other. They don't want them even to come into their house. Really hard stuff. It's heartbreaking. But as we're talking through this with my sisters, I just could feel the presence of God enter the room. And it gives you courage to be able to know, like, he's leading me right now and knowing what to say and knowing where to go. And it's so beautiful. Yeah, we've started doing this thing where we started taking communion with our boys at night. And our youngest has suffered from a lot of nightmares. He's, he's only two, but you just know when, some, when your kid is, experiences the supernatural in a really real way. And so he, we just were bringing in peace into our home, you know, and we just started taking communion together as a family. And we'll all sit, and Axon says, thank you for your blood. And it's like this really you know, it's sweet. Like, it's like, he's like Jesus. <laughs> Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your juice. <laughs> so happy He's to drink grape juice. You know? but, Thank but, you for your sacrifice. <laughs> but it's like, it's been amazing. And then we put them down and Jared just plays the guitar and sings. And it's like been the sweetest presence of God in our home. And the other night, we're putting the boys to sleep, and we're just worshiping with them. And Jared's like, aren't you going to leave? Because, like, they don't like it when I leave. So if I leave well, they're, Jared's still playing and singing, and they just kind of peacefully go into something about put daddies, putting babies to sleep, man. There's something on that. But uh, mommies, it's like, ah, where'd you go? But, but, but I didn't want to leave. Like, the presence was so thick in the room, and I was just like, you know, sitting there with you next to Axton on his bed, and I was just so enjoying this place of intimacy with God with our kids. I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to stay there and snuggle up with them and Jesus, <laughs> you know. And I feel like it really opened up my eyes to, like, how sweetly God wants to encounter us as families together in our homes. Mm. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be complicated, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, a chore or something that we're striving to make happen. Hmm. Yeah. So discipline is it's developing a desire. Whoever you're disciplined, you're trying to de develop a desire for what's right. And that's a great example because I lay Axton down to bed at night. And he says, Dad, would you play a song for me? Will you, will you sing some worship over me? And then I just get to make up songs of identity and play them over the boys for them to fall asleep to. I don't or get to pray. do it every night. Or, yeah, yes, we pray different pray things. Too. But it's just funny because there's nothing I could do to Axton to make him want that. It's not, okay, Axton, it would be good for you if you, you know, listen to me sing at night. So I'm going to make you want that. Or I'm going to slap your hand if you don't want that. And that will teach you to want that. 
but his heart has been disciplined to desire something that's good for him. And that's as parents, as singles, as we're developing the culture of our homes, that's what we're looking for. We're creating an appetite for what God's heart is for the space that he's entrusted to us. And it's so beautiful. He's going to show up on this thing in amazing, beautiful, powerful ways. And as singles, it's so amazing because you have the opportunity to create these disciplines in your life before you even step into marriage or before you even step into having kids. And that's all part of that being willing to be disciplined by God and letting him show you the opportunities of things to step into that can become your normal in your life. Mm -hmm. How much of a blessing is it to your spouse if you're someone who is disciplined by God to have the fruit of the spirit blowing through you, you know, or a blessing to your children or the blessing to your friends around you that you're someone who's flowing with fruitfulness in your life that blesses whatever environment you walk, we walk into as the body of Christ. This is God's heart for us is that whatever environment we walk into as the body of Christ, we are fruitful trees that offer shade and nourishment to everyone around us. Yeah. And as you're single too. This is also the time the enemy works the hardest to get you to adopt a mindset of punishment. Yeah. Addictive behavior, unhealthy behavior, pain, hurt, trauma, all these things are, are springboards for the enemy to get you to grab a hold of this thing called punishment and say, if you punish yourself a little bit more, you'll get a little bit better. And every one of us deal with it to some extent. And you're bringing then that into your marriage or into wherever you're going in life. And it's so valuable to say, no, no, no. Punishment is not the answer. Trying harder is not the answer. God, what can I partner with of you that's going to lead me? I shared the story last year, I think, when I was teaching. But when I first got wrecked and came to Jesus, I had a whole host of things going on. Uh, I was an addict in a lot of different ways. I was a drug addict, in and out of jail, destroying relationships, family, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and so when I got wrecked, when I got baptized by the Holy Spirit at 23, uh, my desire for hard drugs left. Bam, like that. Never had a desire for hard drugs again. And I was like into cocaine and heroin and stuff that was really bad for me. Uh, and, but my desire to smoke weed did not leave me at that point. I was a Christian, and I was following God, and I was smoking weed. And actually, I had a Bible study with several other recently saved men who came out of heroin addiction, and we had a Bible study where we would smoke weed together. <laughs> I think I win for the most unique Bible study experience. We had a lot of revelation. No, but it was really hard because, because I had this, this action that I was doing. And whenever I smoked weed, I really felt a separation between me and the Lord in my heart and in my mind. So it was a big deal to me. But no matter how hard I was trying and trying and trying not to do it, and I just kept going back to doing it, and it was so hard for me. And I went before the Father, and I said, you know, I was punishing myself 
thinking this is how I become disciplined out of this thing that's unhealthy for me, punishing myself. And God told me something that totally rocked my world. He said, I'm not worried about you smoking weed. I just want you to pursue my heart and come after me. And whatever is not who I created you to be will fall off of you. And in that, I grabbed hold of that. I pursued him. I don't even remember when I stopped smoking weed. It just literally fell out of my life. And discipline out of love, out of the heart of God, out of partnering and aligning with who God is, is so much more powerful than punishment will ever be. Punishment can work, but punishment won't establish us in the identity of who God's called us to be.